All right. So let's start by asking a question. All right. You don't have to answer it. It's just a hypothetical, rhetorical question, rather. Um, but it gets us to the heart of the passage. The question is this. Why should we trust each other? So why should you trust me? Why should I trust you? That's the question that Paul is going to answer. So here's the thing. Paul had a, a, a problem of trust with the Corinthians, or perhaps it's better to say the Corinthians had a problem of trust with the Apostle Paul. And, and here's the thing. Um, Paul said to them that he was going to visit them. So he was traveling to Macedonia. He was planning to come and visit them on the way to Macedonia and then potentially on the way back as well. And he'd never showed up. So because he never showed up, when he said he was going to do this, that eroded the, the trust that they had in him. And Paul takes it very seriously, so much so that he addresses the issue head-on in this letter. In fact, you could probably say that this letter was written so that Paul could smooth over a very tense relationship. And, and the, the re reason that the relationship was so tense, at least in part, was because Paul said one thing and did something else. Now, he, here's the thing. Was Paul wrong in that? Um, well, from the Corinthians' perspective, yeah. But Paul is going to try to explain uh, what was happening and ultimately try to answer why they should still trust him. And the reason that this was such a serious issue was because the, the Corinthians and Paul already had a very tense relationship. There was, al there was already a lot of strain on this relationship. The, Paul had said some things that needed to be said that were not comfortable. He had said some really hard things. We're going to see that in, in this letter. Um, but in 1 Corinthians, Paul just hammers them, and then he comes to visit them, and he hammers them again. And so he's, he's dealt with a lot of things, and there's this long, messy relationship between him and them. And so at this point, by the time he's writing 2 Corinthians, man, he's, he's got this this relationship at a breaking point. And, and he's got to do something to, to keep this together because the Corinthians really are at a point where they're ready to leave him for sure uh, and possibly even leave Christ. And so Paul writes this letter to essentially say to them, you need to trust me. And he's going to give them reasons why. Um, but, but here's why this matters for us. See, because Reading this, it feels like we're kind of stepping into a 2,000-year-old past fight, right, between Paul and the Corinthians. And it's like, is it really our business? Well, yeah, it is, because God put it in the Bible for us. So it matters. Here's why. It matters because trusting fellow believers, being able to trust each other as followers of Jesus, gets to the heart of Christianity. It really does. Um, it gets to the heart of Christianity because we are called to trust in Christ. That, right? That's what we're called to do. Trust Jesus. Well, Jesus doesn't seem trustworthy to people if we're not being trustworthy. And we got to get there. That's where we have to go. So trusting fellow believers gets us to the heart of this. And 
Um, At the risk of spoiling the ending, Paul essentially answers the question, why should you trust me with this answer? Because Jesus is trustworthy. And because I'm trusting Christ, you should trust me. So the basis for trust between you and me, the basis for trust between uh, Christians in the church is Jesus Christ. And it's his trustworthiness. So, of course, we know that you and I and everyone in this room, we're, we're sinful people. We're, we're flawed. And even though we've been forgiven and we've been made holy, if we've trusted in Christ, that's our position. We're, we're right with God. Yes, we are being transformed gradually by Jesus to look more and more like him. But even though that's all true, we can't avoid the fact that we make a lot of mistakes and we fail each other. But, but that shouldn't be an excuse for us to say, well, then let's just, let's just keep on keeping on. No, we need to keep pressing in towards who Jesus is. And, and that's really, I think, getting to the issue of Paul's letter to the first, Corinth, the first letter to the Corinthians. He, he talks on two different occasions about how they should imitate him as he imitates Christ. If you're familiar with those verses, um, those make us a little bit nervous when we read them. At least they do for me, because I look at those verses and go, okay, Paul's saying, imitate me as I imitate Jesus. Well, Paul was not perfect. He was very flawed and sinful like I am, like you are. And so this makes me a bit nervous because I'm going, well, one, I don't think I can live up to that standard. And I know I can't. And it also feels braggy to say that you should follow me because I follow Jesus. But, but here's the thing. Even when our imitation of Christ is pretty pathetic, it still gets to the heart of what Jesus wants us to, to do and be for one another. We are called to be like Jesus, even though we are falling far short of that. And so getting to the issue of trust comes down to looking to Jesus, seeing who he is, and, and then trying through his power, through his empowerment, by the Spirit of God, to, to try to imitate him so that others can look at our lives and go, okay, I can see some Jesus in there. That's what we should be going through. And so in this passage, um, Paul's going to give us three kind of indicators or markers of what Christ-likeness is as it relates to building trust among believers. So we're going to see three things. We're just going to walk through the text. Three things are going to come out, and and we're going to talk about how it relates to to Paul's issue with the Corinthians and how it ultimately points us to to Jesus, because he's the standard. Paul's not the standard. Um, we got to understand that. Paul's an apostle. He was sent by Christ to, to speak on behalf of Christ. Yes, he had authority in that way, and that's why we submit to his word because it's God's word through Paul. However, Paul's not the standard. Jesus is. And that's what Paul constantly gets us back to, which is good. So let's look at the first marker here. Um, it's in the first few verses, 12 through 14. Let's read it. I'll read this, this little paragraph, and then we'll stop, and we'll, we'll just talk a little bit about what we're seeing here. Here's how Paul starts this section. He writes, For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we have behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, 
not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God, and supremely so toward you. For we are not writing to you anything other than what you read and understand, and I hope you will fully understand, just as you did partially understand us, that on the day of our Lord Jesus, you will boast of us as we will boast of you. Okay, so in this first section, here's, here's, there's a couple things we got to cover first. Um, Paul is addressing an issue that we need to talk about because he says a particular word three times. He uses the word boast. Um, now, let's talk about that so that we can kind of move, move past it and look at what Paul's point is. The issue of boasting here, when we think about boasting, we tend to think of it as a negative thing. Right? It's bragging. It's, it's, it's just kind of being the, this pompous person. A lot of times we think that way, and especially as Midwesterners, I think as a culture, when you talk to people across the Midwest, we all have this common thing where we, what we brag about is like how little money we spent on something. Have you ever noticed that? It's like someone compliments you, and then immediately you pivot to, oh, you won't believe the deal I got on this. That's what we do, because that's just our culture. Now, if you go to the West Coast... Now, 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 they're going to brag about how much they spent on junk, right? We're going to brag about how little we spent on our junk. So, so that's, that's just a difference of culture. We're not, we're not big on boasting. But, but here's what Paul's basically saying. He's saying that because of what God has done for him in Jesus, Paul can be who he is. He can, he can, be, he can be proud in a sense of of who he is, how he stands before God, and he can be proud of the Corinthians because of how, Paul, of how God rather is working in them. And so what he's saying is essentially is, I'm okay in Jesus, which is the gospel, right? That's what it means to believe the gospel. We become believers and we're okay. We stand before God as, as secure people that we don't have anything to prove and we don't have anyone to impress so we can be who we are in Christ-likeness and being transformed more and more into his image. So Paul's saying here with the boasting thing, it's not that he's bragging. He's just being thankful for what God has done in him. And he's thankful for what God has done in the Corinthians. And that's why at the end of this paragraph, he says, on that day, the day of our Lord Jesus, when we're all with Jesus, he says, you will boast of us and we will boast of you. What he's saying is, is this, when we're all before Jesus as one people, we're going to look at each other and go, man, what a great thing God did for you and in you. And they're going to say the same about you because it's all about Jesus. So um, essentially here, the first marker then that, that Paul takes us to on the issue of, uh, of Christ-likeness that builds trust, here's the first indicator. What you see is what you get. What, what you see is what you get. It, it's this idea of being sincere and transparent. If you, are, if you are just hiding a bunch of things and not being forthright and not telling the truth, then of course you're not trustworthy. But if, but if we stand before Jesus in, in uh, humility and understanding his grace in our lives, then what, what we are as imperfect as it is, is something that Jesus is, is doing. And so we can boast in him and be thankful for him and be honest with each other. We can be sincere 
with each other. So what Paul's saying here is this. What you're seeing in me, Corinthians, is what you're going to get. You're, I'm, not pre, I'm not playing these games. I'm not pretending to be one thing and then actually be something else. We, what you see is what you get. I, I, he's sincere and he's honest. That's what he tells them. That's what he says in verse 12, right? He says that, that his boast is the testimony of his conscience. And here's, the con- there's, here's this testimony, that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God and supremely so toward you. So he's saying all of, uh, all of our interactions with you have been sincere, they've been real, they've been honest, they've been driven by God's grace, and, and it's, it's all for you. He's, he's trying to help them understand that because he's okay in Jesus, because Jesus has saved him and made him a new person, then, then he doesn't have anything to prove to them, he doesn't have anything to impress them with, he, he just can be who he is. And I, I gotta th- we got to think about that for ourselves, though, too. Like, would people in this church, would people in your family, would people that you work with, would people that you live next to say about you or about me that we are straightforwardly open, that we are wholehearted, and that we're sincere? See, I, I think that gets to the heart of, of what Paul's saying here. He's, he's trying to help them understand that though he disappointed them, and he's going to address the disappointment in the next section, but though he disappointed them, it, it's, it wasn't because he was being two-faced. It wasn't because he was pretending to be something he wasn't. No, he disappointed them because they didn't really like him transparently and who he is. And that's some, that's something that we've got to understand too. Um, but, but here's the thing. Sincerity is something that can only come through uh, as Jesus changes us. Sincerity or being transparent can only happen as we embrace the security that we have in Jesus. As long as we think that we're not secure in Jesus, we're never going to be truly real with people. We're always going to hold people at an arm's distance. We're always going to put on some kind of a face in front of certain people because if we don't embrace who we are securely in Christ, we think we've got to hide. But if we understand the gospel and understand that we're safe in Christ, that we don't have to prove anything, we don't have to impress anyone, then we can be who we are. And that actually is one of the best testimonies that people will see about us as they look at our lives. So this transparency that we need to have can only happen through his grace. And here's the other thing we need to recognize. Because for each of these sections, Paul's talking about himself, but he's talking about himself as he's growing in Christ, right? So how does this idea of sincere transparency uh, relate back to Christ? How is Jesus demonstrating this for us? Well, the truth is that Jesus was the most sincere and transparent person in the world and still is. So the reason that we can trust him and the reason that we can be ourselves trusted is because of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Let me take you to two verses that show us this or two short passages. The first is in John 15. John 15, these are Jesus' words. He's speaking to his disciples. 
towards the end of his life on earth before the cross. And in verse 13, here's what he says, uh, 13 and 14. He says, Greater love has no one than this, that, that someone would lay down his life for his friends. He says, You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Now, what is Jesus telling his disciples? And, and by the way, even though this was the, the, the 12, um, this, this includes us because we're, we're following after, after Jesus as well. He says to them, I don't call you servants. You're not a servant because a servant just does what they're told. They don't have to know the details. He said, no, I've called you friends. And here's why he says he can call us friends. He says, because everything I've heard from my Father, everything that God the Father spoke to the Son, I have made known to you. See, see Jesus doesn't have anything to hide. He doesn't have any reason to hide. He's telling us everything we need to know. Absolutely everything that the Father has to say to us, to our lives, we're, we're told. And in fact, Paul, in, in the letter to the Romans, piggybacks on this. At the very end of Romans, chapter 16, the last couple of verses, Paul closes out this letter, the, probably the, the, the most theologically rich letter in all of the New Testament, Romans. He says, Now to him, to God, who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel, and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed, and through the prophetic writings have been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God, to bring about the obedience of faith, to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Paul says that uh, what was once hidden from people has now, through Jesus, been made known. That he has disclosed, opened the books, let us see what's going on. He's shown us everything we need. So Jesus is the most sincere and transparent person of all as, as God himself reveals to us everything we need to know. And, and that's why he's given us the Bible, because the Bible is a, a collection of God's word and writing through thousands and thousands of years, preserved forever. And, and we have this amazing resource where God doesn't hide anything from us. Whatever you need to know, he's given you through the word. That's an amazing gift. And that's why Jesus is trustworthy. But that's also the same reason why we should be trustworthy. Because we are following Jesus should, should be transparent and real and honest and open. 
not because we're all that great, but because Jesus has made us uh, these holy people through his own life and death and resurrection. So that's the first thing. That's the first marker. Let's look at the second one. Um, Verse 15 through 22. So let me read these verses and then we'll talk about them. He says, Because I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first so that you might have a second experience of grace. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and have you send me on my way to Judea. Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make my plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaim among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal uh, on us and has given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. All right, so let's stop there. Now, here's... Here's the second marker as we read those verses. Um, The second marker of trust that we need to to have resemble resemble in us what is in Christ is dependable flexibility. See, that's what Paul's argument is. He, He says, listen, I wanted to come to you. In fact, that was my intention. My intention was uh, to visit you on my way to Macedonia, stay with you for a while, get to Macedonia, do what I had to do there, come back to you, hang out with you again, and then go down to Judea. That was the plan. That's what Paul told them he was going to do. He didn't do that. And now Paul's saying to them, he's trying to explain to them, he's going, okay, was I, he says, was I vacillating? In other words, was I going back and forth, back and forth about this? He's like, no, I, I, I wasn't. I wasn't speaking out of, you know, one side of my mouth and then doing another with the other side of my mouth. He's like, I wasn't doing that. He's saying, he's saying in essence, uh, that was my intention and the plan changed, right? So he wants to be dependable, but he also has to be flexible because God has other plans. And so Paul's just trying to help them understand. He's not like, he's not bailing on them. He's not trying to, to play, play around Uh, with their feelings, he's just simply saying, listen, I I meant to do that. It didn't happen because God had other plans. See, Paul was totally convinced that God wanted him and the Corinthians to be in life together. He he addressed this uh, in the first part of the letter that Christians are called to suffer together. We're called to encourage each other. We're called to pray for each other. We're called to boast in what God is doing in each other. And and so because of that, Paul really did intend and meant to get to them and be with them and visit them. And he was planning more visits. But um, he had a change of plans. And we all should understand that and offer grace in these things, right? Paul's explaining to the Corinthians that his change of plan wasn't because he didn't want to keep his commitments to them, but it's because his situation changed. That's what verse 17 through 19 is trying to get across. But 
but here's the thing. Verse 20 gets us to the heart of Paul's argument. Paul says in verse 20, all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is in Jesus in the context here. All the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. What does he mean by that? What's he talking about? Well, well he's saying essentially this, that, um, the, that, that we are or we ought to be dependable people because God is completely dependable. Right? That, that God can be trusted because God keeps his promises, he keeps his word. All of the promises of God find their yes or find their fulfillment in Jesus. So if you think about this from the history of, of the Bible, the, all the promises that God made to Abraham are fulfilled in Jesus. Right? This, this promise that God made to Abraham that he would have a multitude of family members, that's not, the, the New Testament makes it very clear, that's not about purely the Jewish people. It, Paul expands that out in Romans to say, no, everyone who believes in, in Jesus is a child of Abraham. Everyone, Gentiles and Jews alike, whoever trusts in Jesus is the fulfillment of this promise, which is why God's promise that, this, that his descendants would outnumber the, the stars in the sky can be true because it's not just including this one group of people. It's the worldwide response to the gospel. But Jesus is the fulfillment of that. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Davidic promises, right? That there would be a king that rules on the throne forever and ever on the throne of David. Jesus is that king, right? We see all of these promises, that we see the promises before David in Moses, and that there would be a lawgiver who, who actually loves his people perfectly, and would be a prophet that speaks perfectly, that's Jesus. We see Jesus as the fulfillment of all these things. And so here's the, the, the issue Paul's making in verse 20. As, after he says that, he says, that is why it's through him, through Jesus, that we utter our amen to God for his glory. He's saying we can also make dependable statements and promises, not because we're perfectly dependable, but because Jesus is. And as we grow in Christ, we ought to be growing in dependability with the understanding that we need to be flexible. See, even Jesus understood this as he went to the cross, as he's in the garden of Gethsemane, he's, he is um, suffering emotional toil in this moment as he's preparing himself to go to his crucifixion. And in the prayer, he, he prays to God. He asks for God to take away the cross. He says, if there's any other way that we can get our people back to, to you, let's do that. And that's what Jesus wanted to do in that moment. But he followed up with that by saying, not my will, but yours be done. See, Jesus was totally dependable to do what God wanted him to do, but it was also flexible to say, hey, if you want to change the plan, I'm good with that too. And of course, God didn't change the plan. He still went to the cross and Jesus faithfully went to the cross. So when, we, when, when the gospel of Jesus Christ for us, is our absolute priority, then what's going to happen in us is we're going to become reliably faithful to, to God in the gospel, even if that means that our plans here on earth may change. 
as God requires it. See, God has empowered us to follow him in real time, in these moments, as we're going through life, as we're making decisions in the moment, as we follow him through the Spirit's empowerment, we can see ourselves in this dependable flexibility. So the question is, are we dependably flexible people? Uh, Can we be counted on to put the gospel first and then arrange our lives around whatever priorities God brings to our situation? See, we need to do that on an individual level. We need to do that on a church level. We need to be dependable and flexible because God is sovereign. He's in charge. He calls the shots. We just get to respond as, as he calls the shots. That's what Paul's trying to get across. All right, one more thing here. We're going to look at verse 23 through verse 4 of chapter 2. Let's look at him. He says, but I, called, uh, but I call God to witness against me It was to spare you that I refrained from coming to Corinth. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, for for you stand firm in your faith. For I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. For if I cause you pain, who is there to make me glad but the one whom I have pained? And I wrote as I did, so that when I came, I might not suffer pain from those who should have me, uh, who should have made me rejoice. For I felt sure of all of you that my joy would be the joy of all of you. For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart, and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. All right, so here's where Paul really gets to the issue. Why did Paul not come to Corinth? Yeah, God changed his plan. But the reason God changed his plan was because God and Paul loved these people too much to let Paul come and visit them. (laughs) Think about that. Paul saying to them, "I, I refrained from coming to Corinth because I couldn't bear to make another painful visit for you. See, Paul had already been to Corinth many times. He spent 18 months in Corinth, actually, as the, as the church became established. Um, and, and he had made multiple trips since that time back to Corinth. Corinth was in a really strategic location on the, on the routes, on the trade routes. You know, if you, if you want to consider it kind of like a highway system of the ancient world, uh, that Corinth was one of those big hubs uh, for travel. So he was able to get to Corinth quite often. And the last time he was there, it wasn't a comfortable time. It was a very unpleasant visit. Why? Because um, he really had to confront them about some really hard things. And so he describes his visit as a painful visit. And so we're getting to the heart of what Paul is doing here, why he doesn't come back to Corinth? The answer is because he loves them. He loves them. He says that at the end of verse 4, the abundant love that I have for you. So this is the the third marker of, uh, uh, of gospel trust. It's love. It's actually loving each other abundantly. That will motivate so much of what we do as we build trust. 
So he's, he's essentially saying here, if he was to come back after this painful visit he had just made to them, it's not going to make things better. It's going to make things worse. He knew that. He knew that it would bring too much pain to them because he still had more things he needed to confront them about. And he needed to deal with some things, but he's, he's just going, by God's leading and God's, God's guidance, he's going, it's not the time. It's not the time. We got to do it another day. He, he knew that if he went back to confront them again and correct them again, they were still too raw from their last one, that, that this would not be beneficial. There's a lot of godly wisdom in this. Paul was a, was a leader who understood that people have uh, only so much capacity at a time. They need, you need to space things out. You need to, you need to do it in a way that is actually... Uh, helpful to them and not hurtful. So Paul's, that's where he's at. That's what he's getting to in this whole thing. Um, and, and the other thing you see consistently through this last paragraph is how much Paul talks about joy. He wants the Corinthians to experience joy, not sorrow. And, and here's what uh, an author named Gary Miller writes. He, he wrote a commentary on this passage and he said, one of the chief aims and marks of a gospel-shaped life is that we love people enough to spend ourselves to bring joy to those we serve. Right? This, is what, this is one of the markers of a gospel-shaped life, that we love people enough to want to see people's joy and not, not their sorrow. Um, another quote here is from John Calvin, who is one of the reformers of 500 years ago. He, he wrote this. We, if you know anything about Calvin, he's not, he's not known for his tenderness, but here we actually see some real tenderness in, in this statement. He says, There are many noisy smolders who display an amazing fervor in denouncing and raging against other people's faults. That sounds like social media, right? Sounds like, so. this was 500 years. There was no Facebook when Calvin wrote that, but man, it's true. It's even more true now. People love to rage against other people's faults. Oh my goodness. And yet, he says, they're untouched at heart. So they seem to take pleasure in, in pointing out all these people's flaws. But, he says, it belongs to a godly pastor, in this case, but we could put in godly person, to weep within himself before he makes others weep, to suffer in his own heart before he gives an open sign of his anger, and to keep keep to himself more grief than he causes to others. That is the heart of Christian ministry. It really is. That we love people enough to suffer so they don't have to suffer, if we can help it. Now, there are times where people need confrontation. There are times where people need to be called out. Yes, of course. We, Paul's not saying that's not true. He, he dealt with the Corinthians very harshly at times. But in this moment, he's using godly wisdom to say, okay, it's just not time. We got, because I love you too much, I'm not going to come back for a little, little while. What Paul's showing here is that the Corinthians are both one of his greatest joys and one of his greatest concerns. And, and anyone who has children, you know that that's true w- with us and our kids. 
they are our greatest joy and they're also our greatest concern. We're going, okay, how, how badly am I going to mess them up? <laughs> and how, how badly are they going to, you know, we're concerned about all that. But see, that's where love operates, in joy and in concern. Joy, the, the, we want to pursue the joy of others and we also are concerned for their well-being and their godliness. And that's what it's like to live together in the gospel. To follow Jesus means that we follow a Savior who abundantly loved flawed and sinful people. And he suffered for them. We see Jesus in his life weeping over Jerusalem. We see him weeping at the grave of his friend Lazarus after he died. We see him sweat drops of blood at the prospect of dying in our place. We see him walk a lonely road to the cross for us. That's the Savior we're called to emulate and follow. And everything he did displayed the abundant love of God for sinners, like me and like you. But it's that love, that abundant love that Paul is expressing to the Corinthians, and it's that kind of love, the love of the, of the Savior in Jesus, that we ought to display for each other as well. So love doesn't mean that we don't do confrontation or that we don't say hard things. It just means that we consider the timing and we consider the way to do it and the approach that we should take. Paul was a loving leader. He was a loving pastor. He cared about these people and he wanted them to, to experience joy and not always experience sorrow. There's a, there's a time and place for both. But what we see in Jesus is a Savior who went all the way to his death on a cross so that we sinful, flawed, broken people would be brought in to him. And, and that's the love that motivates us to live, live it out here and with each other. So uh, with that, I hope it encourages you. I'm going to pray for you, and then we're going to take some time to respond in, in song and in um, remembering the Lord's death at, at the table. So let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us your, your grace today. Thank you for reminding us that you have loved us so well, that you have done everything that was required to save us. Lord, would you just give us a little bit more of that heart, of your heart, for each other as we, as we live life together. Pray, Father, that you would do that. Pray that you would draw us to you that you would draw us closer to you in whatever, whatever way that, that needs to be. If we've never trusted you, would you, would you get us there? Would, would you help us if we have trusted you to grow a little closer? We pray that you would empower us by your spirit for these things, and we ask it in Christ's beautiful name. Amen.